Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much for your generosity and your love for our family. This has been a this has been a big year in our lives, 2015, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's our 15th year in Las Vegas. We moved here two days before Christmas 2000. So this week is 15 years in this city. And you know, after 15 years in one city, um, just when you're in ministry, you just wrestle. Lord, what are you doing? What, what, we've been here 15 years. And this was a year where God really took us through some just prayer journey, just some real soul exploration in our family. Christy and I, and um, through that process, uh, God really just solidified for us a life call to the city of Las Vegas, and we just believe that God has called us here for the rest of our lives, and obviously in ministry, and all of us as Christians, we have to live with a yes on the table. We have to live with a yes on the table, and we do that, but, but we really believe that God has called us to this city for the rest of our lives, to be involved in multiplying churches and expanding his kingdom right here from hope and we're so thankful for that you know when God first called us here to Las Vegas I knew that God was at work in this city and I knew that God was going to plant a church what I didn't know is if I would like you or not (laughs) see I'm from Alabama and and I didn't even know if I liked people west of the Mississippi River uh, before moving out here and what God has done over these 15 years has so knitted our heart. This is our family. This is just where we call home. And so much so that uh, this just within the last couple of weeks, uh, we've actually moved into another home. We, After 15 years in the same home here in Las Vegas, uh, we felt like after what God took us through this year, just really believing, hey, God's called us here for life. Let's, let's get in the house we want to spend the rest of our lives in. And so that's what we did a couple of weeks ago. So my house has been a little bit crazy over the last couple of weeks. As you can imagine, when you move after 15 years in one spot, and when you move, uh, there's a very important tool that you use a lot. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, what's this? A level, right? What do you do with a level? You hang pictures, right? Yeah, if you've ever moved, and if you are type A and anal like, like myself and my wife are, and I'll just leave it at that, uh, you use a level to hang your pictures. You do not eyeball. You do not just say, ah, maybe they're no. You use a level to hang your pictures, right? And you take this level, and when you hang the picture, it kind of looks good, and you put this level up on the side of that picture, and if the bubble is in the what? The bubble's in the middle, then you're good to go. Now, if the bubble is not in the middle, it means you've got some adjustment that you need to make. So we've been doing that a lot in our house over the last couple of weeks. We've been hanging a lot of pictures. We've been using a level to make sure that those pictures are straight and square. 
In the New Testament, Paul writes to a young man named Timothy. He's a young pastor, a pastor who's just starting in ministry. And Paul writes to this young pastor in the ministry, and he's writing to him about the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God. Now that little phrase, inspired, literally means that it's God-breathed. Meaning that as we read the Bible, the Bible is not something that just contains some of the Word of God, but that as we read the Bible, it literally is the Word of God. We have in the Bible the Word of God. It is God-breathed. And he didn't say most or all Scripture, or excuse me, most or some Scripture. He said what? All Scripture in totality. Every word of Scripture is God-breathed and it's inspired. And then he began to talk to Timothy about why he's inspired his word for us. Look what he says. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You say, why are we looking at this? Here's why. That word correction, you know what it literally means in the Greek language? It means to make straight. A level is a tool that is used to determine whether or not something is straight. One of the reasons God gave us His Word is so that you and I could use His Word as a level. That we could lay our lives next to the truth of God's Word to calibrate ourselves, to make sure that we are living a life that is in line with the truth of God's Word. So in a lot of ways, God's Word is like this level. God gave us His Word as a measurement, as a measuring stick, as a plumb line the prophet Amos talks about in the Old Testament. And as we, we lay God's Word up next to our lives, the, the, the question that we're asking is, is my bubble in the middle? Am I straight? And there's no better time of year for me to do this than at Christmas. Because I love Christmas. I don't know about you if you're one of those people. I get into all of it. I love Christmas. I like the traditions of Christmas. I like all the trappings of Christmas. I like the songs. I like the movies. I like the lights. I like the decorations. I like the food. I like the gift baskets. I like the wrapping paper. I like it all. I like everything about Christmas. My, my family has to push me out of some things sometimes because I just enjoy everything about Christmas. And if I'm not careful, in the middle of the Christmas season with all the busyness and all the stuff that our culture uses to celebrate Christmas, and don't hear me, I'm not down on any of that. Listen, there's a lot of great positive value out of all the things that we do as a society to celebrate Christmas. I'm not downing that, but if I'm not careful as a follower of Jesus, I can get so caught up in all the trappings of Christmas that I become like that picture on my wall before I use the level. It's just not quite straight. It's not, it's not in line. 
So what I want us to do this weekend as we get ready to walk through the celebration of Christmas this week is I want us to look at God's Word. And here's the question that I really want you to ask yourself today. Is my bubble in the middle? As you think about where you are in the celebration of Christmas with all the gift buying and the party planning and the family gathering and all the stuff that's going on, let's just take this morning let's just see if our bubble's in the middle. So what I want you to do is take your Bible if you have it, open it to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, we're going to read what is the real story of Christmas. Matthew records it this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name, say it out loud, say it again, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. I want to share with you two phrases that really summarize everything we are celebrating at Christmas. And I want to give them to you. I, I tried to make just as, be as intentional as I could to make them as short as I could so that this week and all that we're going through and all the things that we're going to be about, I hope the two phrases that I'm going to give you will allow you to, in whatever situation you're in, to just immediately bring to your mind, hey, this is what we're really celebrating. So here's phrase number one. God with us. Say that out loud. God with us. As we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the reality of God with us. The writer said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Say it one more time. God 
with us. As you're in the midst of everything this week, do not forget that we are celebrating the glorious reality that God came into humanity. Matthew describes it with some powerful phrases. The first one is found in verse number 20. Look what he said. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wow! Think about that phrase. The child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's not something that happens every day. That's not a common occurrence. There was something miraculous about this birth that was taking place. Andrew McLaren said it this way, The great mystery which lies at the foundation of Christianity is declared in the fewest and simplest words. This unbelievable mystery. We will never grasp all the wonder, all the mystery, all the grace, and all the glory of that simple statement, the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Adam Clark said. Look at it on the screen. The human nature of Jesus Christ was a real creation in the womb of the virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary's pregnant. Mary's not married yet. Mary had not been with her husband. Mary's pregnant. Joseph, the woman that you're about to marry is already pregnant. But fear not. The child that has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That little word of is an important word in the Greek language. It's a word that that literally means from, and it speaks of origin. Here's what the angel was telling Joseph. Joseph, without the aid of a human father, Mary, your wife-to-be, has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God, creating in her the humanity of Jesus Christ. I know what we're thinking. How does that happen? It's the same thing Mary asked. Look over in Luke chapter 1 verse 34. Look at it on the screen. Look what Mary said in Luke chapter 1. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I mean, that'd be most of our reaction, right? What do you mean I'm pregnant? I'm a virgin. Verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The mystery of that. 
the wonder of that. But there's some other phrases Matthew uses that talk to us about the miracle of his birth, God with us. He says in verse number 21, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, we hear the name Jesus today and we think about Jesus, right? But in the day when he said to Joseph, you'll call his name Jesus, Jesus was not an extraordinary name. Matter of fact, it was a very common name. Today it would be like saying, name him Mike or John. It's a very common name used in the Jewish culture. It's, it's a Hebrew word that literally means Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Savior. It's a name that speaks to the humanity of Jesus. Here was this one in the womb of Mary that was there by the creation of the Holy Spirit of God. And yet in all the wonder and in all the glory and in all the mystery of that profound yet divine statement that is so simple. This child is of the Holy Spirit. In all of the wonder and the mystery and the miracle of that, he said, just call him Jesus. He's going to be 100% man. But then he said of him in verse 23, They shall call his name Emmanuel. You see what we're celebrating at Christmas? Is that God became a man through the miracle of the virgin birth. This child been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You're going to call his name Jesus, just ordinary, plain Jesus. But they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Meaning that Jesus is 100% man. While at the same time, He is 100% God. He is as much man as if He were not God at all. And He is so much God, it is as if He were not man at all. He is not half man and half God. He's not part man and part God. He is all man and He is all God. God with us. One of my favorite descriptions of this is what Max Lucado wrote in one of his books. Here's what he said. It all happened in a moment. A most remarkable moment. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Now just think about that. Nobody even noticed. God showed up. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. 
And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness. Sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of His mother. God with us. Wow! It's more than some presents and a tree. It's more than some lights hanging from your roof. It's more than some gatherings to sing some songs. God stepped out of eternity, took on humanity, and came among us. My favorite Bible description of this is the way John began his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, look what John says. In the beginning. Do those three words sound familiar at all? That's how the book of Genesis begins, right? In the beginning. John was intentionally taking the mind of the reader back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis with this phrase, in the beginning. But notice what John said. John said, in the beginning was the Word. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us in Genesis how the beginning began. John tells us what was before the beginning began. In the beginning, when the beginning began, the Word already was, is what John said. Speaking about the eternality of Christ. This term, the Word, is used to describe Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. When the beginning began, Jesus already was. Then it says, and the Word was, say it out loud, with God. In the Greek language, it's the, the Greek construction, proston theon. It literally means face to face. In Greek culture, you never stood face to face with someone that was of higher rank or authority. Anytime you went into their presence, you always lowered yourself. I, I saw this firsthand. I was in an African culture in West Africa this last year, and we went in and had the opportunity to meet with the chief of a village. And we were told before you go in, wherever the chief is, you always make sure you're a little lower than him. And when you're six foot three and a half, that's not an easy thing. And, we walk in the door, and he's sitting on a step. And so, you know, we're just down here trying to stay lower than the guy. And every time he bowed his head, I mean, I'm ducking down. I didn't know what was going to happen because here's the deal. If I looked him in the eyeballs, I was making a statement that I was equal to him. And in his culture, you didn't do that. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was face to face with God. It is a statement about equality. Jesus is not lesser God. He is all that God is. Then look what it says. Just in case we weren't tracking with John's logic, he said, And the Word was God. Then look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Get this. Try to, try to just wrap your head around this. The one that has no beginning and no ending. The one who there's never been a time when he was not. The one who always has been and always will be. And at a point in eternity chose to sovereignly create everything that you and I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. While at the same time still existing outside of that in eternity. Seeing the beginning and the end all at the same time. This great, glorious, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign God. Took on humanity at a point in time and became. The word became is in the aorist tense. It means completed past historical action, meaning it's done. That's what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating at Christmas is the historical reality that the one who existed outside the parameters of time at a point in time chose to enter the time that he created as a human being. That's what we're celebrating. The word became flesh, and he says, and dwelt among us. The word dwelt's an interesting, it's a word that just means to pitch your tent. It's common. It's ordinary. God didn't become a man and reign over us. God became a man and dwelt among us. Just became one of us. Then look what he says. And we saw His glory. In the Greek language, there are different words that we translate into the English language with the word see or saw something. There's a word blepo. It just means to, to see something. You just see it and you move on. The word that's used here is the word theomai. We get our English word theater from it. It's not just a casual glance. When you go watch a movie, which some of you have done this weekend to the tune of $120.5 million. <laughs> when you go see a movie, you don't just casually glance. What do you do? You're, you're observing every detail. You're following the storyline. You're trying to keep up. You're trying to learn the story that is being played. John says, we didn't just glance at him. John says, for three and a half years, like a movie, we watched him. We observed every detail of his life. We watched him on his ups and his downs. We watched him when things were great and when things weren't great. We saw everything about him. And after seeing everything about this man called Jesus, there's only one word we can say. Glory! We saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The theologians call it the incarnation. 
God entered the world through the virgin birth. Clyde Cranford, my mentor, wrote it this way. He said, the incarnation is the most cataclysmic event in all the history of the universe. Every other historical fact pales in comparison to this incomprehensible wonder. God has come in the flesh. In His incarnation, Jesus did not come as a full-grown man, but as a helpless infant who had to learn how to walk and talk, how to read and write. As a boy and a young man, He studied and memorized the Scriptures, of which He Himself is the author. Wow! He studied by the light of an oil lamp, though He Himself is the creator of electricity. Wow! So this week when there's wrapping paper flying around your living room, remember that there is something much more glorious that we are celebrating. God with us. God with us. I once heard E.V. Hill preach on this subject. E.V. Hill, if you didn't ever hear him, you ought to Google him and listen to some of his sermons. E.V. Hill may be the greatest preacher I've ever heard personally preach the Word of God. E.V. Hill was the pastor of the wonderful Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. E.V. Hill, was he had a gift to communicate God's Word like nobody I've ever personally heard. And I heard him one time, had the opportunity to meet him and hear him preach on the subject of the Incarnation. And he said he was going to use his sanctified imagination to describe the way that he thought it kind of played out. That when the angels first heard in heaven that God was going to send His Son into the world, the angels came to the Father and said, Oh, Father, let us assemble the armies of heaven and we will prepare a grand and glorious entrance as the sun comes into the... We will make a way. We will lay it all out. We'll bring the band. We'll bring Gabriel with the horn. We'll have the armies march out in robes of white. We will prepare an entrance. And the father said, no, he's not going in that way. He's going to be born. So the angel said, well, then let us us go and prepare the most beautiful palace so that that when he's born, everybody, we'll go and tell everybody that God is about to be born on earth and we'll prepare the palace. We'll make sure that it's ready. We'll make sure the world is watching for the birth. No, no, he's going to be born in a stable. Well, can we at least go tell everybody first? No, I'm only going to tell a few shepherds. Well, can we at least go to the edge of the universe and just shout, Glory! And he said, all right, you can do that. (laughs) And that's why we read in Luke chapter 2 that the angel said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. The angels gathered there in front of those shepherds and said, Glory! He's coming. So as we celebrate this week, 
bubble in the middle? God with us. Let me give you the second phrase. I'm not going to spend as much time on this one because we're going to unpack it in more detail on Christmas Eve. But here's the second phrase. God for us. Say that out loud. God for us. You see, God came to be with us that He might do something glorious for us. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, He said to Joseph, You shall call His name Jesus for for he will save his people from their sins. God came to be with us so that he could do something glorious for us. He came to save. The word save is a word that means to rescue from danger, to deliver, to make whole. Why did we need to be rescued? Well, very simply, we needed to be rescued because God made you and me to love Him. You and I were created as human beings to enjoy a relationship with God. That's why we were made. God made us to know Him and to live our lives in fellowship with Him. But sin, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered into the picture. And sin robbed us of that which we were created to enjoy. Sin robbed us of the ability to have a relationship with God. Sin robbed us of the ability to have fellowship with God. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, every one of us who've been born on the planet Earth have been born in a condition of being separated from God because of our sin. And the evidence is the sinfulness of our lives. So what we all needed was a Savior. We needed someone who could come and reconcile us back to God because there was nothing that you and I could do. No matter how moral I try to become, no matter how religious I try to be, no matter how many new leaves I try to turn over I could not undo the fact that I'd sinned against God and because of my sin I was separated from God and I could not have a relationship with God and was missing out on the very meaning and purpose of life on earth and life in eternity in fellowship with him and that's where Christmas comes in look at Galatians chapter 4 some of my favorite Christmas verses look what it says But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son. It's an interesting word, sent. It's a a unique word that's used here that's not used in other places. When it talks about sending the apostles, that's not the same word that's used here. There's a preposition added to this word, sent, which means it, it literally means to be sent from somewhere to somewhere else. It's very emphatic. And he's here saying that when the fullness of time came, God, out of eternity, sent His Son into time. Look at it. Born of a woman, born under the law, so that 
He might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, had there been no babe in Bethlehem's manger, there could be no sacrifice on Calvary's cross. God with us so that He could accomplish something for us. You see, when Christ died on the cross, He took that body, that sinless life, offered it up as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And on that Sunday morning, He rose again from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And now, when you and I simply put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we turn from our sin and we embrace Christ, we are reconciled back to God. God for us. So there are the two phrases. God with us. God for us. As you walk through this week, how much time, thought, energy, effort, God with us, God for us. Is your bubble in the middle? I think we need to set Christmas straight. Let's, let, let's get our bubble in the middle. Let's use all the trappings that our society affords us. But let's let them be the glorious celebration of God with us. God for us. And it's interesting. Because Christmas is a time of year that we celebrate those two great truths. But did you know that Jesus gave us another practice that celebrates the exact same two truths and it's not just to be celebrated at Christmas we usually do it around Christmas at Hope we do it three or four times a year it's a practice called the Lord's Supper and did you know that the Lord's Supper celebrates those same two things God with us God for us let me read it to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 look what Paul says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that which that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Did you hear it? This is my body. What is that? The doctrine of the incarnation. God became a man. God with us. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the great sacrifice of God to take on humanity, to enter time, to live a sinless life, the body, the dwelling among us. That's what the Lord's Supper is allowing us to remember, that God became a man. Then look what he says in verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So right here, Paul says, hey, you know what the Lord's Supper is about? It's about God with us and God for us. It's about the great doctrine of the incarnation, His body He took on humanity, and the great doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of the two great truths of Christmas, God with us and God for us. So here's what we're about to do. We're about to close this time by taking the Lord's Supper together. And we do this different ways here at Hope throughout the year. We're going to do it a little bit different this morning. For some of you, it'll feel a little more traditional because it's maybe the way that you've had it done in churches where you've come from <coughs> Excuse me, before. 
But this morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to take these elements. And let me tell you why we're doing it today. We're doing it as a level. When you get the bread, and as you receive the cup, I want you to think about what Christmas is all about. God with us. God for us. The incarnation, God became a man, the substitutionary atonement. He offered his body on a cross as a substitute for our sins. He died in our place. So we're going to use this time. He, he uses a word here, remember. It means to bring back into mind. That's what we're going to do. We're not just going through the motions of a little ceremony here. We're remembering God with us, God for us. And we're letting this be a, a level, the, the Word of God, to correct us, to set us straight as we run into this season of Christmas. And I'll read you one final verse before we take this together. Paul said in verse 28 of this passage of Scripture, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word examines a, a word that means to test by questioning. And so before we take this together as a family of faith, I'm going to invite you to test your hearts. I'm going to ask everybody in the building right now, just bow your heads. 